Welcome to How Do We Solve It, a show about the problems American communities face today and the changemakers solving them, empowering you to solve the problems in your community. Brought to you by the Institute for Community Solutions. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. All right, we should be live uh, on Facebook. Cass, uh, welcome to the beta episode of How Do We Solve It? Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for all of my Facebook friends out there uh, who may or may not be watching this broadcast, um, if you are listening into this broadcast, we are doing our first test episode of live of How Do We Solve It? A new podcast focused directly on diving deep into how to address community problems and interviewing the change makers actually doing the work. And today, we have one of those change makers who I have the pleasure to have known for a little while and done really long reports for. Uh, you have. <laughs> they I'll, were I'll great. Forgive you. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, so uh, I really want to just dive right into uh, today's topic. We're talking about uh, community improvement. Uh, you know, today, when people think about improving a community, uh, and improving the the parks and improving the atmosphere for children, uh, they go to town halls and they go to governments and they're like, hey, um, you need to do this. And uh, uh, you are living proof that that is not necessarily uh, required. So uh, that's what we really want to cover in this episode. Let's start with some of your background. You are the mayor of uh, a small town in Ohio uh, that is the, when Ohio people do this, the C's are you, which, which C do you use to tell people uh, how close you are to a major city in Ohio? Um, we are pretty much right between Cleveland and Columbus. We're about an hour and a half from both. So we're in a nice middle, but the, the easiest location I use is Sandusky because everybody knows Cedar point and we're about a half hour South of that. So that's kind of my gauge. Okay. But before that, I believe you were and kind of still are part of a nonprofit called the the Plymouth Improvement Community. So give me an idea of of your background and how you got into uh, being involved with, I don't know if you started PIC or give me a little bit of your background with Plymouth Improvement Committee. Sure. So Plymouth Improvement Committee started back in 2015 as an organization to create a bicentennial celebration for our community on their 200th anniversary. Um, And their main goal was to have a week of events, um, bringing people to our community to learn about our history, our heritage, and basically just celebrate the fact that we are a community and we made it 200 years. Um, Their main goal was to raise enough money to have fireworks because our community doesn't have fireworks. We're very small. And that's a huge purchase um, for a community of 1,700 people. So what we did was we raised the money and I wasn't really involved yet. I attended some of the fundraisers. I knew some of the people involved, um, but they had accomplished that goal. We had a great uh, fireworks uh, celebration. We had like historians, we had dresses, we had people dress up at the cemetery as famous people from our community um, and founders. And it was a great event. Um, But after that, they really didn't have a vision or a purpose in mind. And what kind of brought me to that organization was 
living in town and having kids and realizing there wasn't a whole lot going on in my community for families to come out and get to know each other. I didn't know any of my neighbors and I really felt like my community was, um, in a a holding pattern and kind of stagnating. We weren't growing. There wasn't any excitement and there was no sense of community here. Um, so that's kind of what brought me to searching for a way to grow that environment for my kids. Um, because I had that as a child in my grandpa's community. He was actually a mayor for a while and a fire chief as well. So I was used to seeing uh, family members have civic duty and participate in their communities and making it better. Um, And I don't know how far you want me to get into that right now, um, but that's basically what ropes me into getting into activism. So, so what, um, made you decide that, uh, this nonprofit or this, uh, approach to, uh, bring people together in the community and creating more of a community atmosphere. Why did you go about it using a nonprofit? So we just kind of all had this vision of what can we do to make Plymouth grow? What can we do to make Plymouth a better place to live? Um, me and several other of our married couple of friends started having kids and we wanted a community for our kids to grow up together and and have this environment that we were we were looking for. We wanted to create the community we wanted to live in. Um, and we knew that the only way to do that was through ourselves in, in making these things happen because there just wasn't anyone else willing to take it on here. So so what were some of the major um improvements that you guys have made? Cause because uh like Give us a little bit, actually, of background on Plymouth, Ohio. Um, sure. I believe Plymouth, Ohio is kind of, is it a bit of a Rust Belt town that a lot of people left? Like, give me a little bit of the story of this community before the Improvement Committee came around. Sure. So we've always been a smaller community, but we used to have a lot of manufacturing here. We used to make Silver King tractors. We used to make Plymouth locomotives. Um, There was quite a history of industry and the Fate Root Heath factory was here. Um, All those families are still here, but the industry has left. Um, Pretty much anyone who lives in Plymouth works outside of town. Um, There aren't any people who actually work for any businesses in the community. There's maybe a handful. So this is a village that we don't have the tax base that we used to have. We don't have the employer um, fed revenue coming into our community like we used to have. So we've lost a lot of those luxuries and infrastructure um, budgets that we had in the past. And uh, uh, what was some of the impact of losing the infrastructure, the, the budgets that you had in the past in Plymouth? Like how did, cause you lived in Plymouth now for how many years? Uh, since 2008. So, okay. All right. So but, you've lived in, Plymouth but I grew for... up, I grew Go up ahead. in a town next to it. So I've, I've been in the area my whole life essentially. So how did it transform as a result of people leaving and the lack of funding and like, what did the community used mm-hmm. to look like? And then what did it look like by the time the improvement committee came around? Sure. So we used to be a pretty middle income community. Um, with very low unemployment. And once those industries left, we've got a ton of vacant business buildings, industrial storage, um, warehouses that are empty, 
And at the 2008 housing crisis, we got decimated with foreclosures. There were a ton of vacant houses. We also had a lot of out-of-town landlords scooping up these cheap properties. And the problem with that is then they sat vacant and they've dilapidated over the years. So a lot of cans were kicked down the road over the last couple of decades and property values have plummeted and every street has a problem house on it now. You know, like it's just the the appearance of the town has really gone downhill. Mm, okay. But we are working on that. Yeah, so so talk a little bit about some of you know you're a, a small organization. Um about how much money did you have when you you first started the Women's Improvement <laughs> Committee? Uh I think when I started to become an active board member, our budget we might have had $1500 in. Um, in annual um, revenue and projects, uh, seed money. So we started with pretty much nothing. But, so you, uh, got, you got $1,500, but you need to revitalize an entire community. Where do you start? Correct. So we started with some smaller projects. One of the first things we did was we gave money to the T-ball and softball fields um, to improve them. Uh, they needed a lot of love. So we gave some money to that and they look amazing now, not just from the Plymouth Improvement Committee, lots of local businesses donated. And this has been a year over year process, Um, but they look great now. Honestly, they get repainted every year. They're maintained regularly now. Um, There's just much more presence down in that area of the community. We also started just a small $500 scholarship um, for a graduate. They, They have to write an essay about how they want to contribute to their community after they go on to college. Um, and then we select a person to give that scholarship to. Um, and we've done that for three years now. I think we've done that. Um, so just those little projects, we started with little fundraisers, like an ice cream social, a spaghetti dinner. Um, you know, we weren't really reaching out to the businesses in the area for money yet. So we just kind of grew it very organically through trial and error. Um, and some things have stuck and some things we've left behind. Um, one of our little fundraisers that we do that's still really popular is we work with a local greenhouse um, just to sell hanging baskets for Mother's Day. Um, but we clean up about, you know, almost $1,000 just for like three hours of work. So, you know, it's those little things where you can just kind of make it make it work every year. We've also done traditional things like, I don't know, grilling brats at the grocery store while people are walking in and out of the door. I'm like, hey, you hungry? <laughs> You should eat this before you go buy your groceries, um, you know, so you don't spend as much money. So, you know, and yeah. any kind of thing like that. Um, the first big project we really tackled was the pool. Um, that needed about $40,000. And our council had actually voted to close the pool indefinitely. And we were like, well, we don't want to do that. So they put the on us to raise this money to fix the massive leak and then also provide the money to operate it for the year. And we met that goal and we actually funded it for two preceding years after that too. So we really got into raising money and getting stuff done at that point. That was that project was probably um, the pivot where we turned into really a transformative organization to get major projects done. So, you know, $40,000 is no joke in a rural uh, Ohio town. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody's listening to this and uh, they, uh, you know, maybe their council uh, is voting to shut down their pool because they can't maintain it and they didn't bring in enough money during COVID or, or anything that happened, 
When was this, by the way? Like when, when, that, uh, how long ago was this? That I believe was in 2017 when we okay. did that. Okay. So how did you go about raising $40,000 for an infrastructure project, which most people would be like, well, the city has to take care of that. There's no way we can do that. This was the first time that we really reached out to businesses and industries in the area. And it was overwhelming how responsive and receptive they were to donating money to it. Um, We also just had GoFundMes like, hey, we need this money. If you want to bring your kids to the pool, we need to fix it. And people ponied up $1,000, $500, you know, $300, 50 bucks. Give me your $10. I will put it towards this pool, you know, and it was it was a huge community effort. We, we had a few auctions and fundraisers and people really came out um, to make sure that we got what we needed. And it was, it was really inspiring and empowering. And I can, (laughs) I was going to say, I cannot tell you the satisfaction we had when we presented council with that check to repair the pool and operate it. And the disdain they had for knowing they had to run that pool that year. But they had all the money to run the pool. Why were they mad at you? They just didn't want to deal with it. You know, it's a headache. Pools are a headache. And I totally get that. But it's also a really good public, you know, feature in our community. It's a beautiful area in our park. And, you know, I'd hate to see it just get filled in and and not used. It'd be shame, really. (laughs) And the community rallied around it. uh, They did. Did you you guys do like a big grand opening and have like a, a bunch of people there who had contributed to the campaign. We did. We had a really nice event. Like we had pizza, like the, the local pizza shop came down with pizzas. We had music, we had glow sticks, we had after hours at the pool and uh, it worked out really good. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so do you think that the pool and other things like that achieved your goal of bringing community together in, in Plymouth? I think it really started it. It was a good catalyst um, to Mm. see that we could make a difference with the issues that we cared about in our community. And people saw that we were here to get the work done and make the changes that we wanted to make as a community. And it really paved the way for us keeping the promises that we made to the people who had invested in us um, and the follow through, you know, like, Hey, we want to do this. We're going to accomplish it. We need your help to do it. Um, And it got people to really buy into that. So where did it go from there? That was 2017. Uh, You guys had a big launch and a big catalyst. Tell us more. Sure. So the biggest thing that we do now is we have two major events that we do for the community. The first is the car show um, where we have about 200 cars in the park. And this event's important because this is an event that's catered more to the older residents in the community. Um, It is a family event, but the focus is really on, we play oldies music. It's free. We have some food trucks down there. So it's just a really nice chill event. Um, But we do get our police department to close the street twice on that day. And we do burnouts, which is a huge deal. Um, That's (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) That's not something uh, you get to do in most uh, car shows. So we have a lot of people come from all over with hot rods and they get to do a burnout on the streets twice during the car show. Um, So that draws quite a crowd and it's something really unique to our community. Um, That's an event that PIC has held. This year is our 10th annual car show. Um, And we also use the funds that we raise for it 
for our second event, which is the the crown, the jewel in our crown, I guess, if you will, um, Christmas in the Village, which last mm. year, the costs for Christmas in the Village was $54,000 for this event. We do not make money on it. That is all expense. Um, but it is a four-day festival in our square, and it is free to everyone who comes. But we have ice skating. We provide the skates. It's an iceless rink. We have live reindeer, music, entertainment, ice sculpture, carvers, uh, 70 craft vendors that come, horse-drawn carriages. We do fireworks every year at this event now. Um, you know, it's grown into this massive celebration. And like I said, it's it's providing a ton of experiences for everyone who comes, and it's entirely free to the people who come. So that mm. event has become um, the focus of what we do now. But we've also done some side projects as well. We completely redid the Veterans Park a few years ago, um, rebricked it. We had someone come in. We commissioned them to do a flag mural on the wall of the business next to it. Um, so we're still doing community improvement projects, um, but we do focus on community events as well because quality of life is something that we've kind of taken under our wing as our focus for now. Um, but who knows what it may change to down the road. Um, but that's trans that's kind of how we've evolved over the over the years to to create the community we want to live in. So looking beyond just, we've talked about, you know, the numbers, the amount of money you've raised and the, the cars of the car show, looking beyond the numbers and talking about the human impact of this, what have you, what have some of the people in the community told you about uh, what these improvements have done for the community? We primarily hear extreme praise. Like people love the events. We have such a dynamic outpouring of people who come and say, thank you so much for doing this every year. You know, this is something our family looks forward to. It's become a tradition for a lot of households, depending on which day you go down, which events are, are meaningful to you. Um, and that's something I love hearing. We have some pictures of kids just absolutely lighting up when Santa and comes down in the fire truck at the end. You know, it's, it's those memories that we're creating for families that I hope that they take growing up that they want to instill in their kids, you know, to, to create this voluntarism culture. Um, but those are, those are the most rewarding things. Very little negativity. Do we have, mm. um, you know, other than, well, maybe you should try doing this next year or the parade wasn't as long as it should have been. Or like, Oh, then volunteer and make a float. I don't know what to tell you. You know, um, you're always sure. going to have a few complainers, but for the most part, it's very popular and very positively met. And what do you mean by like a culture of volunteerism? Like that's an, that's an interesting word uh, to it throw is. out. So walk us through, like, what do you mean by creating a culture of volunteerism in your community? So the thing that I've learned being in this nonprofit organization is that there isn't some magic wand you can wave to make your community better. Um, you really have to go out and put the work in to make it what you want it to be. Um, if nothing else, it does take a village and truly we have really met that challenge. Um, but I bring my kids to events regularly because I want to instill in them the realization and the commitment that you can do this too. And when you get older, you have to do this for your kids and your community because 
it kind of sucks to live in a community where nothing's being done. There's no growth. You don't know your neighbors. Um, you know, your quality of life isn't as good if you're not out there making it better yourself. And I certainly wouldn't want them to rely on government to get these things done because of all the loopholes, the red tape, the bureaucracy, nothing gets done at that level. So, you know, volunteer organizations are the way to go because you can just show up, get your shovel and you can get the stuff done. So for people who are in communities where they, they don't know their neighbors, I mean, that's a lot of communities around the country sure. today is, is people don't know their neighbors and they don't, um, I don't know my neighbors. Like I, I know the neighbor who I accidentally throw the ball into his yard, uh, the dog's ball into his yard and he has to give it to me. Uh, right. And uh, I know the the neighbor who mowed my lawn for a little while, but outside of that, I really don't know people in my neighborhood. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're trying to replace a lot of in-person community with online community, Facebook groups and Discord servers and God forbid, Twitter, things like that. And uh, there's definitely a hole that a lot of people feel. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you think about, you know, how can what, what would be your advice for people who want to duplicate? what uh, you guys have done at the Plymouth Improvement Committee um, in their community and set up an improvement committee in their community? Like, where would they even start? So it's funny you say that because now that we've been doing this for a few years, every community around us has an improvement committee. Um, They've all emulated that. And the best form of flattery is imitation. You know, I'm not at all offended by it. I'm rooting for them. You know, it's not uncommon for someone to come to us to pick our brains on how we did something or what we would do in this situation. Um, and we're usually pretty happy to, to provide that input. Um, if you wanted to get started, the first thing I'd probably do is create a Facebook page and just put out, Hey, we would like to start doing some community events or even we asked a lot of questions like what does community look like to you? What does, what does our village mean to you? What, what would you like to see done? How could we do that? And we just had a few meetings, you know, we met, we spitballed a lot of ideas. Um, Some of them we could do, some of them were horrible, but you know, like that's okay. Like put it out there and we'll see what's I got to know. What's an example of a horrible idea. Um, (laughs) Gosh, without throwing someone under the bus. Um, Sometimes when we talk about fundraisers, like some of the ideas people have for fundraisers, one of them was like, oh, we should do, we should sell pizzas. And I'm like, isn't the school literally doing that fundraiser right now? You know, just things like that, where they don't want to break it. They don't want to break out of that box. You know, that's all they know. So they think that that's the only way to do something, you know? So just saying everyone else is doing that. We can't do that, you know? Um, getting people to think more creatively. I think it's sometimes a challenge, you, you know, can just only, because you can only, you can only buy so many pizzas. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you were, you were saying, I interrupted you there talking about getting people together, throwing ideas together. And yep. like, this is an in-person meeting. You guys met at a coffee shop somewhere or. We actually started meeting just up where, um, council holds meetings. So at our, our village council chamber, um, you know, there were a did few you, did council. You guys all, did you guys all sit at the chairs and pretend that you were councilmen <laughs> discussing the important issues? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, they let us use it. There were several sure. council members there, but the officers 
of the of the committee that were on there when I signed up were sitting in the council chairs just for flow. That way, you know, you had your public input and then you had your members up there. So it Mm -hmm. it works well for that environment. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's where we started meeting. And then we started meeting at the historical society because they have bigger chairs and tables and it was just more conducive to a bigger group. Um, But we're pretty small right now. We've kind of closed in and we've honed what we do. Um, so our volunteers are more seasonal than regular, like, Oh, Christmas in the village, sign up. And then, you know, you get a bunch of signatures and people are like, oh, I'll take this shift, this shift and this shift. Um, mm-hmm. or, Hey, the car show is coming up and people will sign up for those things. But operationally, it's just a handful of us that are consistent. Um, so we just meet at the American Legion so that we can get chicken tenders and alcohol. So it's kind of a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, That's how sure. that's evolved too. Um, but you know, for, for formal meetings, we'll meet in a bigger venue, but for just our monthly touch bases where there's just a handful of us, we'll just go to the Legion typically, which they let us use their meeting room too. So, you know, you get that good dialogue with your other organizations in town and you can pretty much work with anyone. And that's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine. So, okay. So you get a meeting together and you start mm-hmm. throwing together ideas. Then what? Uh, what is your next step after you put the meeting together in your community mm-hmm. and you want to do something? So you're really looking for your, your first target. Like what is the thing you want to accomplish? So once you have all agreed on what your focus is going to be for that, you know, you can say maybe for a year, like for the next year, we want to focus on fundraising to replace the bricks at the veterans park, because like for ours, it was all overgrown with moss. It had shifted. It wasn't level anymore. It just looked really sad. So how much is it going to cost for us to, redo the brick, you know, clean it up, do the things we need to do. Then you can also, you know, get your budget. Like how much money do we need to raise for this? And at the same time that you're doing that, think of organizations that can help you get that done. With us, it was the American Legion. That's a no brainer. Of course, they're going to help repair the veterans park. You know, they love that idea. So they gave us a considerable donation towards that. Well, then we also found a landscaping company that was looking to do some pro bono work to get their name out there and build their reputation. So they cut us a great deal on what they did. So you just use these different things to solve your problem. And it's all about networking, getting the fundraising, but having that target in mind and then completing it. And then we had an event, we had a musician come, you know, we made it a really nice ceremony to basically unveil it and its completion publicly and people loved it. You know, it was, it was great. So once you've established that you can get those things done, then you're like, okay, what's next. And that's the thing about a nonprofit is you're never really done. You're always saying, great, good job. All right. Rest for a minute. What's the next thing? Because there's always something that needs done. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, if you win, uh, like the, there's certain nonprofits that actually do solve the problem that they set up to solve right. amazingly. Well, then you have this giant group of people who are very good at solving this problem. What mm-hmm. other problem can you solve with that group of people? Where else can you create the, that nonprofit at? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, uh, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you learned about people? And their ability to come together with this nonprofit. I'm always, I'm always surprised in a good way at how dedicated people are to something they believe in. 
whether it's, you know, teachers coming to volunteer and dump, you know, 55 gallon trash cans into the dumpster during Christmas in the village to keep them from overflowing again. You know, there are people that are willing to just do the absolute hardest labor they've ever done in their life for something they believe in. And you're always going to have a few people that say, Oh, I'm going to be there. And then they don't show up. Well, that's fine. I mean, that that's going to happen. But for the most part, um, once you get people on board with something that they buy into, like they'll do amazing things for you. Truly. It's true. It's very true. Um, so what would, what would you say your kind of parting advice for uh, people who want to do this would be? I would say start small, you know, just see if you can tackle something that's bugging a bunch of people in your community. Maybe it's an eyesore park, maybe clean it up or, you know, raise money to replace some of the dilapidated equipment there. Um, And once you've, you've done something of that scale, you've shown that you can, you know, manage that kind of a project, people are going to jump on it because they want to see that happen in their community. They want to, they want to see their communities thrive and be a welcoming place where they can walk down the street and and there's something to look forward to. Um, You know, I would say just basically just get started, just get people talking, create a, create a place where you can, you can have those conversations, whether it's online or in person. I think in person is the most productive way to have your meetings. Um, just because there are people in your community that are looking for neighbors. There are people in your community that are looking for connections. Um, I was one of them. They're there, you know, they, they want to know their neighbors. They want to be able to walk down the street and say, Hi, Bob. How's it going over there? And and know what's going on. Um, I think once you get started, you're going to find that you will have people ready to jump on those projects. Well, if uh, somebody is in a community and they're like, you know what, I am not quite ready to start something yet, but uh, I love the work you're doing with Plymouth Improvement Community. I love the idea of uh, actually bringing communities together to uh, um get to know each other, get to know their neighbors, really push back against this online only uh, culture that we have for building communities. Uh, How can they support the work of the Plymouth Improvement Committee? Sure. So we do have a Facebook page. If you look up Plymouth Improvement Committee, we're the only one in on the web that I'm aware of. Um, and you can go there and we do have, um, places you can donate online. Um, if you click around on it, um, I don't know if it's really active right now, but it should be, but we need to, we need to raise money. Christmas is right around the corner and, uh, we need about $60,000. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking like a real fundraiser there. Christmas is right around the corner in June. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Like we have to, we have stuff booked in January, so it's, it's no joke. Pretty well, cutthroat is, business. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, thank you uh, so much for the work that you do in Plymouth and being a living, shining example uh, of volunteerism and, of course, uh, serving on the board. I mean, uh, that, that, that also helps. Uh, so really appreciate uh, all your work, and thank you so much for coming on. Uh, how do we solve it? Uh, for those who are watching, how do we solve it today? Um, this 
show is brought to you by the Institute for Community Solutions. We are the only organization in the nation going around the country, identifying solutions to the problems in your community and bring those solutions to you so you can learn from them and you can implement them in your community. If you want to be a part of finding these solutions, getting them out to people, join the Solutions Circle at our very, very long website URL slash circle. Uh, and you can be a contributing member to helping make this podcast and other uh, things like it, get them out in the community, get them out to change makers across the country. Thank you so much to Cass for joining me. Uh, thank you so much to our audience. Uh, and of course, after the show, join us in the forum for community solutions, uh, where we have lots of fun discussions about the show, about the things that came up in the show and, uh, uh, about the issues affecting your community. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, you guys have a wonderful week.